Welcome to You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast. This is the third episode of the podcast. We started recording based off of Season 5 of Game of Thrones. I am Philip, one of your co-hosts from New Hampshire, and with me in the state of Michigan... Uh, this is Eric. I'm actually not in Michigan. I'm in a hotel room in Chicago. Oh, very well. Is this a work one or is this a family one again? This is a work one. And in the state of New York? This is Mike. Mike, how are you, sir? All right. How are you, Phil? Very good. And today is April 27th, 2015, Tuesday. Actually, it's Monday. Holy smokes. And, uh, we are going to discuss Episode 3 of Season 5 of Game of Thrones, entitled High Sparrow. And what's that? I got to tell you, this is screwing me up. It's screwing up my internal calendar. Explain. I'm so so used to recording on Thursdays. Yes. That all day long I either have to remind myself that we're recording and then I have to remind myself that it's Monday. Uh, And what Mike is referring to is... You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast, is the sister podcast to Dark Discussions podcast, www.darkdiscussions.com, uh, which, yes. I correct you. The Rondo Award nominated. That's right. Yes. Rondo Award nominated Dark Discussions podcast, which is a genre podcast that discusses uh, various topics, mostly films. Uh, such as films that are horror, science fiction, fantasy, thriller, techno, thriller, mystery, exploitation, grindhouse, and myself, Mike, and Eric, our co-host of that podcast. And this podcast here uh, will also be under the Dark Discussions podcast feed, but we are also on our own feed, and we can be found on Stitcher and iTunes. And for this podcast... We know you know nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, we use darkdiscussions.com and Dark Discussions podcast Facebook group um, for this podcast. So the the homepage we use our sister podcast homepage. Mike, you were going to say something. You've got Abe. People who don't know uh, Dark Discussions, there is uh, Abe, who's another uh, member of the podcast, as well as. Christy Schoonover Peterson, or P- Christy Peterson, Peterson Schoonover. Schoonover. Yeah, I always screw that up. And MJ Preston, who occasionally join us on that round table. Um, but this, this podcast is just the three of us. So, uh, first off, Eric, you do even a third podcast with your buddy Dan. Why don't you let people know about that? Uh, it is a general interest podcast called the Scancity Podcast. That's A-S-K-A-N-C-I-T-Y. You can find it at thescancity.com or on the iTunes store. Excellent. And Mike, you do a genre book? Yes, that's Unnatural Selections, www.unnaturalselections. Uh, when I get time to update it, just whatever happens to be passing my fancy at the moment. Very good, very good. And uh, uh, Mike, you brought this up on our first episode of this podcast, but uh, I do have uh, three published short stories. Uh, two of them are in books that have nominations for awards. Um, the, the one is, uh, Cairo Mad 2 by Written Backwards Press, edited by Michael Bailey. I have a short story in that. And that includes stories by a number of actually semi-famous horror writers as well as, uh, some quote unquote newbies like myself. And, uh, when Publishers Weekly 
uh, gave a review of that book, they specifically mentioned three stories, and my story was one of them, so that was kind of cool. That And the story in there is called Indian Summer and Cairo Mad 2, C-H-I-R-A-L Mad 2. And then I'm in uh, Bugs, uh, Stories That Creep, Slither, and Crawl, which has a, a story that's uh, by another author, Sidney Lee, whose story is nominated for a Bram Stoker Award. And I have a tale in there, and then I have a tale in Canopic Jars, Tales of Mummies and Mummification. And all of the bugs in Canopic Jars are by Great Old Ones Publishing. And all three of those books you can find on Amazon and wherever, Barnes and & Noble and whatever. Um, any further things you guys wanted to bring up uh, about yourself or news or Game of Thrones stuff that would be interesting before we start talking about the episode? Uh, I, no, I think we should do it during the episode. That sounds like a plan. Uh, what about uh, you, Mike? Just to remind everybody to please leave us reviews at the iTunes store, at uh, Spotify, or whatever it is that you happen to use to listen to uh, listen to this podcast. Please stop in, leave us some reviews, let us everybody know how wonderfully mediocre we might be, and we would greatly appreciate it. Helps raise our profile, helps get us more listeners. And helps us continue our long, long road to world conquest. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, again, the Dark Discussions podcast is Rondo Award nominated, which is pretty impressive. So I think we have a good product there. And based off of listening to a bunch of Game of Thrones podcasts today while I was working on this specific episode, as a matter of fact, uh, I think this podcast by us is as good as any of those. And there's some damn good ones such as Cast of Kings and, uh, various other ones out there, so um, it would yeah, be appreciated. We're, we're, as good, we're every bit as good as they are, but without any of the organization and preparation. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> yes, and they have a, a very good fan base because they've been, or I should say a listener base because they've been around uh, probably pretty close to the beginning, uh, most of those podcasts, and we're, we're just jumping on in season five, and we said, why not? Let's do it. Just just like uh, those guys that do the walking Dead podcast, right? Like, right, which also have since look, if you've been if you're a diehard Game of Thrones uh, nut, you probably know Cast of Kings because they have been there from the beginning. Um, we just jumped on, as you said, but uh, there's the uh, uh, was it Peter and Karen who do the Walking Dead cast have just started their own uh, oh, yeah. Game of Thrones, which uh, Jason and Karen, sorry, not Peter and Karen, Jason and Karen, their own uh, Game of Thrones podcast called uh, Game of Microphones, which I like. It's nice, <laughs> nice they title. do actually. Yes, they do have a uh, – they're trying to start their own sort of podcasting network uh, called Podcastica, I think. Uh, but uh, – so I'll throw that out there because you may not have heard of them because they have just started started theirs. And unlike us, they are kind of organized in what they do. Uh, so if that's that's – if that organization thing is your thing, you know, if you're one of those anal retentive types, you know, you may want to give them a spin. Yes, or, or just give them a spin – because you're interested in hearing even more opinions and various uh, opinions of Game of Thrones. I've actually found that listening to several podcasts on Game of Thrones does not diminish any of them. I agree, absolutely. And uh, there, there are actually a lot, a lot of good ones out there. And uh, we hope that uh, folks find uh, us to be as good as them and to, as Mike said, leave reviews on whatever platform you listen to us on. Uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're all podcasting for a show we love. We're all part of a big happy family. There is absolutely no animosity, bitterness, deep-seated jealousy, rivalry, hatred, desire to see them burn in the pits of hell. None of that. 
None of that. So, so please, please share the love. You're very convincing there, Mike. Yes. Oh, good. I was hoping. Yes, you are. And, uh, I recommend that folks should, if you're interested in genre cinema, uh, check out our sister podcast, Dark Discussions Podcast. Uh, a couple of higher profile films that we've done recently and discussed and dissected them and so forth is It Follows, Babadook, Nightcrawler, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, just to name a, a few. Uh, so we do indie films, foreign films, and big Hollywood budget films that we think are interesting and want to discuss. Yeah. All right. And uh, so, as a reminder, we are not discussing really the books. I haven't read them. Phil's only read the first one. We don't care what Eric's read. Eric, you've read them all? Well, fine. I don't care what you've read either. Fine. You've read them all, right? Uh, everything that's been published. Well, right. You haven't gotten his manuscript or anything, which, by the way, could have made you the most wealthy man in the world. But that's okay. <laughs> Right. Um, so, but we're focusing on the TV show. We'll try to avoid anything that is that are that are knowing spoilers of what has not yet aired. If so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I don't know why you would be listening to this episode if you haven't w- watched this particular episode because we will be spoiling the hell out of it. Yes, indeed. absolutely, absolutely. And uh, again, as Mike said, we are focusing on the television show specifically, not the books. Because, for example, a number of the podcasts that I was listening to today were talking about Tommen's age and a scene that he is in in this episode and how uh, they had issues with it. But again, <laughs> it's just with its wild inappropriateness. But well, again, though the book, the uh, <laughs> the character among all the characters, are in their teenage years, many of them, young teenage years, while in the TV show, uh, the, uh, Tom and the character that plays Tom, he's supposed to be like 18 or something, so at least the actor's 17 and a half or something like that. So, Because I, I, I think in the TV show, he's probably supposed to be closer to like 15, but... Right. Okay. Yeah, well, and there's a couple but things. But he's not One, eight. <laughs> you know? Right, right. It is two things. One, back in the day, I mean, my, gr- my grandmother, uh, she was married when she was 16. So there's a to an eight year old boy. No, she was a 16 year old and she married a 20 something you know, year old guy. So the, you know, this is a, a different time. This is supposed to be in an alternate it's a reality. Fictional universe, people. Exactly. And again, the, the book uh, and the TV show, the TV shows, the characters are older than they are in the book. They, they uh, started out about the same age, but for some reason they're aging more quickly. I guess so. You could say that, Mike. But, uh, but to be honest, I mean, like Rob Stark and Jon Snow and all them are supposed to be like 15 or 16 in the book, and they're like in their 20s, it seems, in, mm-hmm. in TV shows. So there's a big difference. And so we're only going to focus on the fact that they're the age on the TV show and not what they were in the book. All right. So with that stated, uh, Eric, why don't you uh, – once more, or actually introduced the episode again, what was it called? The High Sparrow, we said, right? Uh, yeah, I actually didn't catch the title, but uh, if you say that's what it is, I trust you. That is what it is. I just double-checked. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, I didn't trust Phil, but I just didn't know he was. He already knew what it was. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I actually specifically tried to remember it uh, this time, because last week I had no idea what it was, and you guys have to keep on telling me. Um, but the director is Mark Mylod. uh this is a new director because this year they're doing uh, back-to-back episodes by different directors. So the last two di- were done by a director that's more famous for Breaking Bad. 
this director here, David Mylod, is doing did this episode, and he's doing next week's episode, and he is more well known for various television shows, specifically Entourage, uh, where he directed twenty three episodes of that, uh, among many other uh, TV shows as well. But not much film, and most of the stuff isn't really genre. So this this is seems like a big step for him. Uh, have you either of you heard anything of, about Mark Mylord before this episode? Nope. Nope. Yeah, me neither. So either way, uh, that was the background of this episode. So yeah, let's let's discuss. Uh, where do we want to begin? You want to? I guess we'll start with Aria because that's how it. Aria. Yep. That's all. Yeah, let's start with Aria's storyline because uh, that's where the the episode actually begins in the House of Black and White. I gotta give this name a shot. She's talking with Jacqueline Hagar. Everybody yes. can make fun of me if I said that wrong. Um, but I tried this time. Jacqueline uh, Hagar, yes. <laughs> so, she's talking with him, and they have these very tedious conversations, and these, these tedious conversations happen in the book as well, where there's, everything's referred to in the, in the third person. A girl, blah, 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 blah. A man, blah, 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 blah. Uh, because the whole idea, what they're, what they're trying to train her on is, uh, they're, they're the faceless assassins. Uh, they're trying to have her. Well, is this a spoiler? Well, yeah. It's a, this whole episode's a spoiler. What are you talking about? Well, for what's upcoming. See, because my sense is that they're trying to, well, I guess this is what you're trying to get her to, to strip herself of identity. Yes. Okay. Um, so that's that's what they're trying to get her to, um, and later in the episode, I, uh, we should probably just do the whole Arya storyline. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So uh, they're having this conversation, and she's been sweeping the floor forever, and she wants to know when she's going to learn something. And Jock and Hagar is being very vague and not to the point, which is his way. Uh, and basically we come back to it in another scene later in the episode where, uh, this girl starts basically antagonizing Arya and asking her who she is, uh, and, and slaps her and they almost get into a fight before Jacques and Hagar steps in and breaks it up. And uh, they start talking and again, very vague, not to the point, but then, uh, he finally gives her a little bit of information that she's looking for, which is that uh, they want her to have no identity. And he says, well, you're surrounded by Arya Stark's belongings. You have Arya Stark's sword. You have Arya Stark's stolen silver. You're wearing Arya Stark's clothes. How can you possibly be nobody when you're surrounded by Arya Stark's belongings? So that's basically his big... uh kicking her ass to finally get it through her head, what they're looking for from her, uh, which is to get rid of all essence of Arya and become faceless. Um, so Arya goes and she gets rid of all of her stuff. She dumps some of it in the bay and she almost throws her sword needle into the bay as well, but then stops uh, and actually goes and buries it in a stone wall uh, so she can retrieve it later. Um, yeah, so, uh, first off, she should have donated all those things to the poor and not thrown them out into the water. That was just terrible. But, oh, uh, whatever, dude. Oh, my God. 
Dude, on she's a... been wearing she's been wearing those clothes for like three seasons now. I don't they care about that. Be, about they've the got they've got to be pretty ripe. The silver, the silver. I don't get the deal with the silver because I mean, who the hell owns money? Well, that's I mean, a good point. yeah, it's I mean, silver. It's it's if you mix it in with somebody else's silver, you'll be able you you wouldn't know whose silver it was. That's a good point. Do the faceless <laughs> people not use money? That's a good point too. I, well, I, I believe the point was that it was something that she brought in with her. Okay. Well, she should have gave it to a beggar. But on a why? Of, why doesn't he get a job? <laughs> she's in Bravos. <laughs> my understanding is Bravos apparently is the streets paved with gold, right? I mean, aren't uh, they the money place? They are the money place. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Um, uh, what's, what was your opinion of, of, uh, this? Because there's a little more that you, we haven't talked about, which is, um, after, um, she does all that, she's then brought in and starts some sort of ritual type stuff. I actually, unfortunately, thought this was, um, the most boring part of the entire episode was the Arya story. Um, well, and, and here's the thing, get used to it, uh, because it's gonna be like this for a while, uh, there's basically an entire book uh, like this with with Arya's storyline, and all she is is all it is is her vague conversations with Shakunagar. Who in, in the book it's it's not him, but whatever. Um, so get get used to these vague conversations about having no identity because they're going to continue. Dude, yeah. you just spoiled the books, man. Now I know there's going to be vague conversations. You ruined everything. I know I'm a dick. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, see, I actually, possibly my favorite scene in the, in the, the episode is her looking at the sword, uh, looking at Needle and contemplating throwing it out and seeing the emotion on her face. Cause that's a great moment because, because we've, we're in the fifth season and we followed her on this very, very long journey. And starting with her getting the sword, I think she even got it in the first episode. Yep. Uh, given to her, of course, by John. by the one who knows nothing. Yes. And but he knew to give her a sword. And <laughs> then she loses and then you know all she does to keep the sword, she loses the sword to get the sword back to kill somebody know, with the sword. To kill somebody with the sword and now she has to throw it away and she's doing all this to avenge her family and this is really the last tangible tie she has to her family. And if she knows what everybody else knows, or thinks they know, then to her, her whole family, with the exception of John, is dead. Right. And John, of course, is the bastard, and he's Don't taking the black, so, he's, he's, so yeah. he may as well be dead to the family. So mm-hmm. this is her last tie to the family she's trying to avenge. And, you know, I, and so I, I kind of really got to that, and I'm wondering if her hiding the sword is going to come back and bite her in the ass later because she's because she's I not would be doing... very surprised if it didn't. Well, what, what about this though? What 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 does she want? I, I don't even know if Well, I mean, is, I don't even think this... she wanted to go to Bravos, right? I, I mean, Well, here's I, the thing though. Here's the here's the really interesting thing, which is that what she wants is to get revenge for her family. But the only reason she wants to get revenge for her family is it's because it's her family, right? And right. that's part of who she is. It's part of Arya. And now she's getting this training at the House of Black and White, which requires her 
to strip herself of identity. So here's the question is if she completes her training at the house of black and white and succeeds in stripping herself of identity, will she strip herself of identity to the point where she doesn't want revenge anymore? Well, that's a good point. But also is she there for the long haul or is she just there until she figures out her next step and then bails? Well, that's also a good question. And you know, Arya, Arya's a little hothead. And you can already tell she's like losing patience with this shit. So we'll see how long she sticks in there. I, I'm yeah, I'm wondering if she's going to be sitting in the the swamp with Yoda, raising the X wing out of the the muck when she gets a when she when she gets a vision of of Sansa and Bronn being tortured by Boba Fett and runs off without completing her training. <laughs> but even if she does the training and or bails from the training, I should say. In her eyes, I don't think it matters because I, I don't know if she's there for the long term at all. I think she's there because she doesn't know where to go. until, And this is at least somewhere that they'll, quote, unquote, accept her at least until she can find her next move, which is to either get to the wall and reunite with John or get well, back to the other side of the sea and, and, and start wiping out the people she doesn't like. Right. And I, I think you're right. Uh, but I think they take things a little more seriously than that at the House of Black and White. And I don't think bailing would be a good idea for Arya. Right, see, and this is my question. How much of, how, how dickish are the House of Black and White people? Right? Like, are, do they care about, like, Jakan Hagar seems to care about Arya. Seems to. But we don't even know if the Jakan Hagar we're seeing is the same Jakan Hagar that we saw before. Right. right. Because they can change their faces. Could be somebody uh, else making themselves look like that. Exactly. So, I mean, and will they like beat the Arya Stark out of her? You know, will they do? Will, will they transform her in sort of the same way Theon was transformed into Reek? Well, you know, that's, her... that's kind of where my question was going. Is is she right? If she undergoes a transformation successfully, will she remember the reason why she came there? Well, exactly. They, and if she and she refuses to let go of it, will they try to punish her for not letting go? Well, right. there's two. There's two things. One is. Assuming this is the same Jacques, whatever his name is, um, he obviously likes her because he was freed by her. She, she basically saved his life in a sense by getting him out of that that cell. So, but then again, she could be he could be like Stannis, which is you know our debts are now paid. Now I got to take your fingers because you betrayed us. So, I. We don't know if he's to the point where you save me and I'm always indebted to you forever, or if he's the type that would say, you save me, but you still can't break our law, so we got to take you out. But that's one thing. And the second thing is, is if they, if they, um, do what you said, Eric, then all they are is just a, a, a cult. And you could actually argue that they're probably evil in a sense or, or, or nefarious because, you know, they're taking away people's identity and they're and we're talking about you know those brainwashed places and once you're in them you know like in that movie faults if you try to get out it's all perception because you say that's evil but who's having identity isn't just vanity and actually a sin and 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 we don't know they could do anything they want at this point but let's also remember they're assassins so the odds of them being like the holy benighted assassins Right. Is is probably not particularly good. I mean, they may be assassins with 
a noble goal in mind. It may be no goal in mind and just let everybody figure out their own way. You know, so, and I also have questions because, but again, this is fiction. They can make up any rules they want. How important is the ability to change your face tied to that sense of identity? Is this like an inner Zen thing you need to do to be able to change your face? Or is this just some sort of, like I said, bullshit ritualistic thing that's completely separate from that ability? Well, I think if you were to ask them, they would say the two are intertwined. Oh, sure, they would say that. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's that's how it's going to end up going. So it'll be, like I said, it'll be really interesting to see where, where they go with this because, you know, who knows what happens to Sansa in the long run. And I'm hoping... You mean, you mean Arya. Right, Arya. So see what happens to her here. But again, it's that I, I, I still have that feeling that things are going to end not so well there for her because I don't think it is what she thinks it's going to end up being. Yeah, but my guess is that um, she's eventually going to get out of there somehow and get back to the other side of the sea is my guess. Who knows? I mean, I mean, her story, I think we discussed this in episode, uh, last week's episode. Her story is the only story now that doesn't seem like it's going anywhere that's related to the big picture of the Game of Thrones itself, unless she kills, quote-unquote, Cersei's because Cersei's was on her list of four people, and she's the only one that has any power to, you know, on the Game of Thrones. She's just a wild card now. I think we talked last week maybe she could become the Queen of the North because she has the stock name if it's not Sansa or or uh, Rickon or something, you know? Yeah, I don't know um, where Arya's story is going to end up. I have a feeling she'll be a major player. Uh, I don't know in what way, though. I'm wondering if, because she's, everyone's joked about her being the little, tiny little girl and her size, especially like in the first season or two about her small stature. I'm wondering if she gets this kick-ass training in at somewhere later on down the line. Because we, we, we joked last week about how her list keeps getting shorter and shorter right. through absolutely nothing she's doing. If like the only one left on her list ends up being the mountain and we get a a, a, a final fight between Arya and the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be something as silly as that. We don't know. Yeah, so. Oh, and know. by the way, looks like Mike Mike may have been proven right this episode about the mountain. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll, <laughs> let's, we'll get to there. But before we do, let's just wrap up this Arya story, this cult or whatever you want to call it. No, I think a cult is a fair description. Yeah, they when people die or they die in their hands, but people want to die in their hands. It's kind of bizarre. They then take the bodies and they wash them and then no one knows what they do with them uh, because uh, Arya asks and, and they didn't tell her. But uh, Arya, they, they send they send them to Littlefinger's brothel. Oh God, Jesus, that's terrible. But uh, so Arya um, is now the I guess the first step of whatever it is to become faceless after getting rid of your your sword and all that stuff, and that is to participate in caring for these dead bodies. Yes, I would say she's still in the initiation phase. Yeah. yeah. I think they gave us a lot of her this week, but if this is what they're planning on doing for the next... Oh, God, help. We don't have more episodes. of it. Well, but my point is they can uh, just, you know, if they, they can limit it to a, a short scene instead of like five scenes, or well, actually it was three scenes this episode. You know, or hopefully they find a way, because my understanding is certain 
plot points they are tightening up and tweaking to add a little bit more um, watchability. Watchability, <laughs> right to to the books from from the bookstore that they're deviating to. So maybe there's going to be some deviation going on here. Oh, there already uh, is. So are, can we can we can we get to what I think is one of my favorite edits in the entire episode? I don't even know if it was intentional or not. Go for it. Which is they switch to the they do an edit, and I don't know if this was the director's choice, if it was the editor's choice, or this was complete accident. But when they cut away from the House of Black and White to Sansa and Baelish riding to Winterfell, they hmm. cut to the black and white horse in the same positions as the doors for the House of Black and White. Oh, that could not have been an accident. So I just thought that was that was a clever little thing to throw in there, if assuming it was as intentional. Um, uh, this show yeah, was so well run, I'd be really surprised if it wasn't. I would, I would say it's, it was intentional because, um, based off of some other reviews and, and things that I've heard and read about this episode, this new director is very prone to uh, pay attention to things such as that, including, uh, leaving the camera longer on people's faces to get expressions, uh, uh, I guess, uh, fade outs to things like you just said, Mike, and things like that. So this is something that's specific that, this uh, this um, director may have added. Yeah, I would agree that it's probably intentional, as Eric said. All right, cool. So uh, let's move on from Arya. Want to talk about King's Landing? Sure. Okay. Uh, our first glance of uh, King's Landing is uh, Tommen getting married uh, to Marjorie, uh, and then we get a little uh, little visit to the wedding bed. Um, Tommen really likes sex. <laughs> He's very enthusiastic about it. I think uh, we, we, we we all are, though. I think we all. Well, are. yeah, yeah, but, but, uh, but he's but young. It was, but, but it was time. over so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all relate to him. Uh, Speak for yourself. I oh, but that that, that was that, that was a great line to drop in there. Uh, no, no, was his line. best line was was uh, I could be I could do this all day and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, uh, so we get we get scenes of Marjorie talking to Tommen, uh, and and there's just a really awesome scene where Marjorie's basically talking to the girls about uh, what an animal uh, Tommen is, about how he wanted to uh, break the record. Yeah, he wanted to break after after the fourth time. She said, "Slow down, you're going to break the record." And he was like, "What is the record? We can break it." Uh, it was because yeah, it was four times. Uh, so then Cersei walks in. Awkward. Um, <laughs> and, oh, Marjorie's just enjoying this so much. Uh, she, she's just, how should I address you now? Is it Queen Mother or, uh, <laughs> Eric, if I could interject here for a second, um, the reason Cersei's visits is because uh, there's a scene between this one and that where what happens is, is that um, Marjorie talks about Cersei's in bed with, with Tom by saying, oh, your mother loves you so much and she's always watching you and she won't always stay around you, whatever, and puts a seed in Tommen's mind. Oh, absolutely, yes. That, that, that oh, my mother's kind of trying to boss me around. And so, yeah, yeah she's, a, trying, she's trying to part uh, Cersei and Tommen. 
because she does not want uh, Tama to be Cersei's puppet anymore. Yeah, and then and she then wants Tama to be her puppet. Exactly. <laughs> and then there's a, there's a scene where where Tommen tries to convince Cersei's to go back to move back to Castle Rock. Yes, but it's not because it's because he thinks she'd be happy there. Is how he puts it. Right, right. Because that's the place where you were born, and blah blah blah. And she goes, "Yeah, but my family's here. Why do I want to go all the way back to Castle Rock?" And then he right. goes, "Yeah, but you would be ha- more happy there because that's." You know, blah blah blah. It's dirty here, and whatever. So, you so and, and the people are all liars, and you don't trust them. And <laughs> the influence of uh, Marjorie is also already making its uh, presence known. Uh, and then she like just totally messes with Cersei about her age and being a grandmother. <laughs> it's <was> pretty awesome. <laughs> it is, but you know what? You know what? And this is honest to God. Again, Cersei screwed everything up because first of all, she was married to the king. Right, and then she kills the king. Right. So, the, so now she's not queen anymore. So now it comes down to her children becoming the rulers, and one of them was a sociopath that is dead, and the other one's young, and so not as wise yet of the world. Mm-hmm. So she actually has destroyed her own power source by by uh, killing uh, Rob uh, Baratheon in the first place. Rob well, Baratheon. and that goes back to what Tywin said about her is that. The reason she's so dangerous is because she's not as smart as she thinks she is. Well, she has a problem. First of all, uh, I have, I think she killed him because, you know, he he, he basically belted her, right? As there was that one scene in the first season where Baratheon smacks her hard mm-hmm. and basically tells her to watch her mouth or teach her another lesson. Um, and I think that might have just been her her last straw but she was hedged in a box because she was stuck having this illicit affair with her brother none of the children were Rob, were, were were roberts and the longer that went on the greater the risk of him eventually finding out and as we found out he almost did so even then i don't know how much power she really had while robert was alive mm-hmm. you know she was she had a lot more Freedom to do what she wanted, I think, after Robert died, and certainly after Stark was gone. Yes. And then when her father came in, she had some freedom, but he he was as smart as he thought he was. And right. he effectively had her corralled and was doing a pretty good job of controlling Jeffrey, uh, Joffrey and sending him to bed without his supper if he went too far out of line. Yep, yep, it's true. That, and that, that leads to um, the point where Cersei's then, at this point, where her power structure um, is gone because she, she lost being the queen. She, even though her father corralled her, he was the all-powerful, and he's gone. Uh, her oldest boy is gone. And so it's really just her now, uh, you know, and Jamie, and that's it. And the problem is, is... Because she's such an asshole, an evil person, um, <laughs> from the very beginning of the show, never mind being a deviant and having sex with her brother, that she... How do you really feel, Philip? She's destroyed everything. In other words, she was smart. She would have prepared for saying, okay, I know Marjorie's going to be taken over because she's going to marry one of my boys. So she should have been her best friend. She should have been what Sansa was to Marjorie. And she didn't. She's just a jerk. And she's stupid. Yeah. Well, part of it is that she's, and again, I have a small 
amount of sympathy for for the character, but very small because it's ninety nine percent not sympathy. Um, she is a character who has had ambitions that have been stifled from the beginning because she's a woman, because she's female. You, but, know, but, and, you know what? Based off of her her flashback, though, she seems like she was a sob even back in those days. Yeah, too. but it's it's, it's it, no no question. <laughs> Certainly the way, but she talked about how she wanted to do things that she, she couldn't understand while while why Jamie's getting taught how to be a warrior and she's being you know sent off to marry somebody you know and but that still doesn't explain her behavior with Marjorie from no day it does, one. well no but well because because Marjorie is someone dangerous to her to her position I think one difference is that Marjorie is comfortable being a woman she has understands the limits of being a woman in this world in this society but she is very comfortable working within those parameters where I don't think Cersei is and, I don't, and Cersei does not know how to manipulate men the way that the, the, right. the way that Marjorie has, and so she wants so much to be playing with the big boys, to be sitting at the council chamber and so forth, and she's focusing so much on what she cannot do, what she is but, not allowed to do, that but, I don't think she sees the opportunities that are there. But I, I think there's a flaw in your argument, Mike, which is she already knew that at a point, whether she was the all powerful or not, even even Charles Dance knew that one day his character. Tywin knew one day that he was not going to be the all-powerful because once Joffrey or Tommen or someone grows up and becomes the real king, he would then have to give back the power. And Cersei should have understood that too, which is the moment there's a new queen, I'm not going to have the same power. And she should have prepared that. And it has nothing to do with her being a quote-unquote woman. It has to do with her wanting to be an alpha. The original plan was to have Sansa marry Joffrey. Right. So I think that at that point in time, she would have had a much better chance of controlling Sansa than she does now with Marjorie. She certainly would be able to control Joffrey better than, you know, she would have more control over Joffrey than Sansa would. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then she, she basically permitted Joffrey to behead Ned Stark, which screwed up everything. No, she, in the first no, no, she did not. Yeah, well, she did not. She she did not want him to do that, but she was afraid to stand up to him. Joffrey surprised everybody on the spot by saying, "Nah, off with his head, off with his head," yeah. and and nobody tried. I mean, and I don't think she could have. The king, and she does make that comment to uh, to her father, which is you know when her father chastises her for letting him kill Stark, she says, "Well, you know, why don't you try standing up to him?" And he does, but he's also smarter and stronger than she is. You know, well, and and he, but but I mean, even he is kind of careful in how he corrals and bullies Joffrey. Let's say, I, I don't, she's not particularly good at what she does, but she's got enough power that it makes up for a lot of her mistakes. Right. Um, and it's I'm really curious to see where this game is is heading because they're each because she's clearly not she. Uh, to clarify, Marjorie's clearly whispering in Tom and Zier mm-hmm. to get her sent to King's Landing, which I not King's Landing to uh Castle Rock, Rock. Mm-hmm. which which I think is a mistake on her part because that doesn't neutralize her. But if, but my question is what is she doing with the sparrow? Alright, we'll get into that in a second, but let me ask you this, Mike. Would Marjorie be saying to Tom and have Cersei's move back to Castle Rock if Cersei's wasn't an asshole in the first place? In other words, if, if Cersei's was, was normal and, you know, oh, so I'm glad you're coming to the family and blah, 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 and understood that now she's the queen mother and not going to be the queen, and then maybe Marjorie wouldn't have that. The question is, is Marjorie really 
playing the Game of Thrones this way because this is the way she wants to play it, or did she playing it because she saw Cersei's as a psychopath and just had to get rid of her? You see what I'm saying? If Cersei wasn't a psychopath, she wouldn't have done this, I don't think. I think if Cersei was smart, once she knows she's not going to be sitting on the Game of Thrones, on the thrones, on the throne, number one. Number two, she knows that with her father dead, she never has to marry Sir Loras, so she's good there. Um, she has her own little council. She can do what she wants for now. Her son is sitting on the throne. There's no reason other than her innate bitchiness that she couldn't get along with Marjorie. Right? Well, and I won't even say bitchiness. It could be her unrealistic uh, way of thinking how the power false well, it, it might not even be that it might remember the 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 flashback to open the season yeah uh yes. she was warned about well it might have been marjorie she was warned about certainly fits the prophecy but the prophecy never said that you're going to be executed killed and, and burned at the stake all it said was that you won't be queen anymore when someone younger becomes the queen right and she doesn't want that to happen right because she's insane because no, she liked of. having power. Who doesn't like having well, power? But, but we we know that through and through all you know almost every myth and every legend out there that involves a, a a fortune, a prediction of the future, that the person inevitably ends up bringing about their own destiny. Absolutely. And in this case, by alienating we, uh, Marjorie, she's basically going to push her into minimizing her own power. Yeah. She's, she's basically going to – she's undermining her own position. Mm-hmm. There's every reason – if she, again, could put the claws away and be nice to Marjorie and her, her, her son – and Marjorie does say something. Well, he is such a lovely boy. I don't remember what exact word they kept repeating, but it's such a nice yeah. boy and raised him well. And that's a perfectly fair point to make. She did raise two really good kids yeah. and Joffrey. <laughs> You know, Joffrey was the Joffrey should have just been the beta, and they should have thrown him off the cliff when they had the chance. <laughs> well, but, and, and to be clear, Phil, I just I just want to make sure nobody is saying that Cersei is not evil. Okay, we all agree with you that she's evil, but you're trying to attribute every single thing she does to the fact that she's evil and psychotic, and some of what she does is just attributed to regular human behavior. Well, I wouldn't say psychotic. I would say sociopath, psychopath. Because, and the reason I say this is, well, in theory, you're right. But put it this way. When Obama's presidency is done, he can't run again. And he's not going to say, I'm just going to still try to become a, play the game and become the, you know, the president again. Only Bill Clinton will do that, you know, with being another eight years with another Clinton in. But besides Clinton's, everybody else doesn't do that. And so might, might, might I suggest you go spend some time on some conspiracy websites and you'll find out the truth. <laughs> and well, and that's, that's, the, that's the thing with, with, with this kook here is that she thinks she, somehow she's going to still be the leader of the realm. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. She, there, there's a always, lot of, there's an there's, awful lot of, it, she has to give up her power and she doesn't want to. I think that's perfectly understandable. But, right, she, but, but after eight years, you got to give up your power because you can't run again. So after the, you're not queen anymore, you have to give it up. And that's why they play the Game of Thrones. Right. There's an awful lot of bitterness on her part simply for the fact that she never got what she wanted. 
That is, he was supposed to marry Rhaegar Targaryen? Yes. And he was supposed to be like the Elvis Targaryen. You know, he right. was supposed to be like the great, all-powerful, wonderful, super fabulous Targaryen. Right. And that didn't work. So she got Robert. But Robert, she says earlier that she was absolutely in love with him when she first saw, before he became who we saw, the big, fat, lazy drunkard. You know, he was this big, strapping, bearded warrior, you know, and, you know, every woman would swoon for Robert Baratheon. And she was more than happy to be his wife and have his babies. And he basically rejected her. And he didn't want her. So she's basically, so she, she's got this chip on her shoulder from being, from losing her first dream of marrying the prince. And then from becoming the queen to this guy that back, basically backhanded her, that never really wanted to do it with her, that had wanted to keep whores and probably, you know, then humiliated her as a result. So she, and so she turns to her brother for comfort, as we all know, and she kind of gets back to him through sort of a passive aggressive thing, like, fuck you, you're not getting any heirs, right? Mm-hmm. So, but that's where I think so much of this is coming from, though a lot is but, but we you know, already saw. That's a flaw because Rob Baratheon has no idea. He just thinks Joffrey's his son. So that's why it's a passive aggressive thing. <laughs> because, I, I, because she, and that's why she's limited in her power because she knows she's getting it over on him. It's sort of like no the guy else, who's, but sort of like the guy who spits in your food, you know, in right. a restaurant, right. it's, you don't know that you're eating his spit, right. but he knows or she knows, right? That's yeah. that's the difference. So she's limited what she can do. But look, we also know from the way she treated her her her, uh, her brother, from treating how she treated uh, Tyrion, from how she was acting to the uh, the witch in the first episode of the season, that there is just a large portion of her that's a bitch, and that could be why. Robert didn't really care about her in the beginning, you know, from the first point. So, well, and plus, yeah, Robert was just was stuck with her because all right, we need to because, move on because his first love was was Stark's sister, right? Right, which is another reason why she hates the Starks. So this is all tied up into all this past and history, and because she is what she is, she just can't let it go. So Eric wants to move on to the Sparrow thing. So let's let's talk about that. Well, I, I was very glad to see her meet the High Sparrow this episode because that's what I was referring to last time when I said uh, in the books her, her story takes a particular path. Uh, this is the beginning of that path, and that makes me very happy. Let's discuss. So, so there's these, these religious folks, or if, if I could be politically correct and say religious kooks, who uh, suddenly <laughs> appear... politically correct? Because they're religious kooks. So... <laughs> Because anybody that that beats people in public and parades them around, that's there's something wrong in their head. I, I don't care if the person they're doing it to did bad things. You, you don't, you you just don't do that. That's that's insane. So well, obviously, obviously they they do 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 that, and they do, do 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 that. Yes, and you know, given again, given the context of the time, you know, I don't think. Yeah, but they they have no authority to do it. That's the thing. They they're just a. Well, how are lies where people believe it lies? And anybody who's not part of a particular religion can look at it and say it's crazy. 
doesn't matter what the religion is. Uh, anybody who's not a part of it can criticize it, so let's not focus on that. Let's. The reason I would criticize it is, is because if you're not a member of that religion, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to be forced to do you know listen to those people. Right, but but uh, first of all, all the people in a lot of most of the people in uh, in King's Landing are are part of the the religion for the new gods. It's not like this is this is uh, the head of some minor little church. This is. Dude, you know, me, and, it, me, and you, me and you are members of the Roman Catholic Church, Mike, but we don't right. follow Mel Gibson's crazy crap. You see what I'm no, saying? No, this isn't Mel Gibson, but here's the thing. This is a group that is that is um, almost, I think it seems like more of a, a closer to, fun, um, to, to a Reformation movement, but imagine for a moment that you have a group of Catholics catch uh, New York Cardinal Dolan in a brothel and swat him in the behind until he runs out naked in the streets. Now, is it a little excessive? Probably. But it's more funny. I think I was humiliated, probably deservingly so. And I suspect when he's saying, well, they uh, that they could have killed me, he looked pretty good shape to me. Yeah. Right? I think he's over-exaggerating. He was humiliated because he got caught. He got caught, and he's over. Yeah, I think he's exaggerating how much the spank on his tushy hurt him. You know, and now maybe if they showed me a, a reveal later of his back all being scarred and bruised and flayed, you know, all right, fine. I would say they went too far, but they basically took this guy who's, who's posing as who's supposed to be the head of their church. This group is the the seven. Is their that's still their religion? The, the sparrows. They just happen to be trying to reform the church that's that's corrupt. And so they make a symbolic gesture by chasing the guy out in the streets naked to show he's a, he's a sinner, show he's a hypocrite. And I don't think they've done anything. They haven't beheaded anybody. They haven't killed anybody. You know, they, they I really don't think they hurt this guy that badly. Uh, yeah, no, no, I see, I see he, your point. He was, he was humiliated. But, he tried to use his power to get out of it. Uh, by going and crying to Circe, uh, and saying, you should throw them all in jail or execute them, cause I didn't like what they did. And that backfires on them and she throws them in prison. Right. And the reason she throws them in prison is because she decides that this high sparrow and his group of religious kooks are better to be allied within the Septon. In other words, he th- she thinks they, they're more powerful or ha- she has some agenda to use them for something, it, it appears. It appears. <laughs> so so my guess is she's trying to somehow get into the favor of this religious cult because she sees them as a new force in the city that has some followers or power, mm-hmm. and she's hoping to use them to do something. Yep. And what what that is, I don't know yet. Plus, she has, um, she happens to have a power vacuum right now with the high septa, septum put in prison. Mm-hmm. So, again, she's trying to stack the deck as much in her favor as possible. But let's just remember, she's not as smart as she thinks she is. Oh, I know that. And, you know, people who... <laughs> Well, and she, I, I, but, she, she reminds me of a Bond villain who would try to, like, you know, while Bond is sleeping in his hotel room, would try to get the snake 
under the door and would end up getting her bitten herself. <laughs> right. <laughs> but my, my, my problem with her is, is that for some reason, I think she's again, stupid because she thinks that the high septum is not a better ally to be with than a bunch of religious crazy kooks. In other words, in other words, the head of the entire church, she decides to sell out, even if he is a, a boob, and go with this this religious kook group. So no, no, no. Hang on a second, Phil. I don't understand why you're so opposed to this group. What did they do that was so horrible and kooky, other than exposing the high septum for having sex with prostitutes? Well, you know what? That's fair, but again, I I don't like how they did it. And I don't like how they throw rocks when they live in a glass house. What are okay. they doing? How many of them are using prostitutes? We don't know. They they, they show them servicing the poor. If if my understanding of King uh, King's Landing is correct, this guy visiting a brothel was probably the least of his sins. Um. I'm not saying that, that the sparrows are completely without sin. We haven't seen a lot of them. But mostly what we've seen is that they tend to the poor and they publicly outed somebody who is a hypocrite who is leading the church. I haven't seen them do anything terribly wrong or egregious. Really what they did is, is, is not all that worse than, you know, a, a hazing prank at a fraternity. I, I quite honestly, it, I think what they did is, is a lesser sin, if you will, than the high acceptance. Going to the freaking brothel and getting on with chicks dressed up like the gods. No, I'm, well, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it's just that I, I don't know. I, I just don't. I just don't like how how they they are. That's, that's fair. You don't have to like them. I was just I was I was just wondering exactly what why you had such opposition to them. I guess in theory, based off of what we know, we don't know too much about them, um, except that it appears. And I'm not that saying you're wrong, by the way. I was just wondering I, where you got your opinion. Well, you know what it is? It is when we saw her cousin, um, Lannister, and how he's changed and he's lost his identity. Yeah. And I I can't stand any group that forces people to lose their identity. Even if they choose to do that, I, there's just something about it that – that being being the free willed person that I am and the, the, it's it just these groups like like the – the House of Black and White and, and this group here, they're just taking away identities of people. I don't know. I, I just don't like it. But, but I think, and I, this was mentioned in one of our Game of Thrones pod, not this podcast, but one of our Dark Discussions Game of Thrones podcast, yep. was that a lot of Game of Thrones is characters searching for their identity. You know, is is trying to find who they are. This is very obvious with Arya. Um, this is very obvious with Jon Snow. You know, it's... Um, and, and learning who you are is a big thing, and you know, and and what you're capable of, and you know, who do you, who do you want to be versus the pressures of, uh, of like your name and your house and all this other crap versus you being who you are as an individual. So just symbolically, yeah. it would make sense to have these institutions that exist to like. By the way. Uh, Castle Black and the the Night's Watch that strip you of who you are and strip you of your identity to some degree, because that's almost also part of what you're fighting for. They can both help you and it can hurt you, um, because to some degree you can't become who you are as an individual until you shed some of the baggage. Yeah, of, no, that's fair. 
of what you have. So it'll be like I said, I'm I'm keeping an open mind. Now look, is this cult of sparrows probably going to end up being assholes? Sure. Why? Because it's Game of Thrones and nobody ever ever ends up being happy. <laughs> well, right. let, me, let me let me let me say this: what they did to the Septon and how they treated him when all he was doing, whether he was the leader of their church or not, uh, you know, balling prostitutes. How why Cersei thinks that the way she is as a human being and and how people know what she's done and how she acts publicly and never mind all these other things, um, you know, the poor and she ignores them and doesn't like them and all this. How she actually thinks this high sparrow guy and his group are going to suddenly go, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll sell out our beliefs and, and help you whatever you want to do, because it doesn't make any sense that she's that's insanely um, closed minded to not see that maybe I'm going to be like the friggin' septum guy. Cause she's as bad as him, if not worse. Well, but I, su- out I it. would suspect that in her mind, they're poor. They're nobodies. Yeah. She walks into her house holding her their their little house, whatever it is, holding her nose because they stink. Right. She's clearly a Lannister and they're superior. And so she can manipulate that's that's her prejudice. She won't she she could not imagine some lowly little turd like this guy being able to do something to her. Right, I don't. Th- I don't think that she could see how this could be a a uh, you know a bull that she can't that she doesn't think she can 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 bring down. Which but, is crazy because this the But this is her. This yeah, is her lack of imagination, and this is what her father yeah. was warning her about: is yeah. that she's not as smart as she thinks she is. Her father was smart enough to recognize that all their going back to what Varys said in the second season: all their power is illusory. That that go that the wealth of the Lannisters is a phantom. They don't have any gold anymore. Right. right. They only. It's just the fact that people think they're rich that they're keep getting people to lend them money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. So. Right, so this is this is her. I'm saying so this is her. This is her fundamental flaw: is that she thinks she's smarter than other people that she just is not smarter than, and she's not smarter than Jonathan Price. Well, let's let's let me switch now to someone else that's quote unquote uh, a psychopath, but not as stupid as her, and go to uh, Ross Bolton because <laughs> here here we have his son who's basically using torture and violence against his uh, subjects. And his father basically sits him down and says, stop eating, whatever. Stop being an idiot. You don't get power by torturing people and killing them. You get power by diplomatic ways and so forth. And and even though he's a dirtbag too, Bolton, He's smart because he knows, no, we don't have a, we don't have Taiwan backing us anymore. We don't have, um, of true power base of money and all these other things. And you're, you're here to his, his son, Ramsey, killing people that are our subjects when that's not how you do it. You, you're, you're being stupid. So he's smart. And so this is like almost a mirror image of, of Cersei's and her, the difference is Cersei's is a Lannister. So she, obviously she, but, said, but yeah, I understand. But, and he is clever, but he's still stuck with like a lot of people, uh, you know, it's like that old Rumsfeld line is that you, 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 you prepare for, you, you go in for the war, you know, prepared with what you have. 
you know, it's he, he smart person does not make Ramsey Snow or Ramsey Bolton the linchpin of their success, except that's all he has. Right. <laughs> well, well, that, that's that's true. I mean, and yeah, and he's well, hoping a knock the shit off talk uh, will be enough to uh, to get his son to be at least somewhat palatable. Right, and he's but I have a feeling it's not going to work out that way. Well, right, and right, he right, also he's, knows he's discovered the same thing that. Uh, that Stan has discovered in the last episode, which is that the people in the North don't want to answer to anybody except for a Stark. Um, and so therefore, uh, Littlefinger steps in and, uh, arranges a marriage between, uh, Ramsey Bolton and Sansa. Uh, so then she will then be, uh, married to the family that has control of Winterfell and people might become a little more, uh, receptive. Now let's let's talk about this. So let's do the Ramsey, Sansa, and uh, Baelish story uh, right now. Baelish is brilliant. He's the smartest person on the show, I think. Because okay, all right, I have a problem here. Yeah. And here's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not disputing that he's the smartest person on the show because he may be, uh, but you didn't immediately label him as a psychopath as you have everybody else in the show. Why not? Oh, he is. He, he's... Okay. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, the, the thing that, that the reason he's brilliant is is exactly what you said because he understands how the North people are, even though he's more closer to the Tullys, which are like I guess the center of this land. He, you know, knew all the Starks and all that because of, you know his past. I mean, if we can go, we don't have to go into that because it's pre dates the show, but um. He thinks, first of all, he puts a, a seed in Sansa's mind by, by saying, these are the people that killed your family. This is the beginning of your, where you can take back the North for the Starks. And Bill, all of your destiny, let the hate flow through you. Exactly. And so here, Bill is, is controlling Sansa. Sansa's actually not really controlled by him. What it is is she's listening and going, you know what? You're damn fucking right. And so basically she's going to marry this Ramsey guy. And then she's, appears oh. to be, what's that? Oh, she has no idea what she's getting into. Again, no, you, you could be right, but, <laughs> but this but poor girl, first Joffrey, now this douche. Right, oh, and this is it. This is it, because we have said before, Joffrey was the absolute worst person on the show, possibly the absolute worst person in the history of all shows ever. And Ramsey and on top of the him. Only, and, then, and then you get Ramsey, and he's arguably as bad. Sansa's been engaged to three people. <laughs> Two of them are Joffrey and Ramsey. <laughs> Uh, I mean, as in Sansa, we're going to you're going to be engaged to any one person in all the realms. Pick a name out of a hat, Ramsey. <laughs> but here's a knife. Just do it now. Get it over with quick. She must have done something seriously horrible in her. Holy in her shit! Life. This is some serious karma. Come back around to bite her in the ass in this life. But we forgot something, which is vengeance. 
can carry people over the mountain. Well, you could be right, and this is actually really interesting too, because I don't know, you may have read an article or two about this, or heard about it on one of the podcasts you were listening to, Phil. Um, but this is a difference from the books. Um, Sansa is not who Ramsay Snow marries in the in the books. Okay, so yeah, so this is a big change from the books. Yes. Okay, so so I, I, I'm interested to see where it leads, because you could be right. I hope you're right, because as much as I like to rag on Sansa, she's developing into an actual person, uh, and I'd like to see something good happen to her for once. Once. Well, I, I, I say, well, I, I think she's a great character anyway, but this could make her be the best character on the show. Or it could break her entirely. We'll see. Right. But she, she ha- but she has Baelish back in it, and Baelish wins everything. Well, yeah, there, there's two up. things. Well, right, she has Baelish backing her. You had the uh, servant come in, and the North remembers Pepper's That's, Farm is delicious, right? Um, that was huge. That was huge, <laughs> I think. And what I think isn't this basically setting up almost the. The the, the the reverse of the Red Wedding, mm-hmm. where now it's they're in Stark territory, uh-huh. and you know now they can that would be they're going to be awesome. surrounded. Hope, that would be seriously awesome. I hope you're right. Well, because they're in Stark territory, they're going to be at a wedding surrounded by Stark people in a Stark castle, marrying a Stark. Yeah, they didn't think um, so well, did they? No, they didn't. So there are, there are, so certainly at the very least she has, unlike King's Landing where she was alone and isolated, now it can flip the other way around where she does have a power base if she knows how to use it. The other two things are these. One, when she comes in, you notice how they pan over to Ramsey's women? Yes. You know, so we'll see what they have to say about this because this could be, um. Cat fight? This, this could, well yeah, this could be Shay times five, right? <laughs> yeah, and the difference was that Shay liked Sansa. Right. These girls don't even know him. And the other thing is this: say what you will about Littlefinger and Varys and all these other characters. Really, none of them have really been liars. Joffrey, especially, while he was for the most part enough of a scumbag that he just told you, told you, I'll torture if I want to torture you, and he acted as his whim struck. But Littlefinger's always told the truth. Varys has always told the truth. They may have not told the entire truth. They have, may have withheld information at certain points in time. But they've always, what the, the words they've uttered have been, always been true. Even going like to Tyrion's trial, all the words used against him at the trial were words he spoke. Yeah. Varys, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was just a matter of misleading context. Sure. There is one character on the show who has said, right flat out, I am a liar. And that's Ramsey, when he was torturing Theon. I said, and right. by the way, did I, did I mention I'm a liar? <laughs> and and so when he goes up to, um, oh, goes up to Littlefinger and says, I promise I won't hurt her. Now you know, we know he's a liar. There is no reason to believe, just because he said I won't hurt her, that he actually won't hurt her. Well, Mike, right. if I can interject here for a second. This sums up what what I think Eric was talking about, and and that is is that Baelish even goes up to Ross Bolton and a few other people and says, "Yeah, I don't know too much about this Ramsey guy, 
because Ramsey literally just appeared on the scene like maybe uh, less than half a year in, in, in I guess, Westerosh time because he was just this bastard nobody. And then suddenly, boom, he's now a lord and and finally gets a power base. And so even Baelish, who knows everything, because, you know, he's like Varish where he has, you know, little birds everywhere, doesn't know anything about this guy. So he doesn't you know. You know nothing, if, Peter Baelish. Well, that's the thing. He doesn't know if Ramsey is a stand-up guy or really is an evil bastard. Right, and this could be his first mistake. Right, yeah, that's a good because, point. Because Ramsey is, is, a, is a psychopath and a sociopath completely different from what we've seen on the show before. Because even because he has an art to him that Joffrey never had, right? He Joffrey was a sadist, but he was a brutal sadist. Right. He was just blunt. He that this sort of uh, the idea that that Ramsay could be sort of like a serial killer if he wasn't a noble, right? That he would be he, he could be evil and cruel on a scale that even Baelish may not be be recognizing. I would agree with that. Yeah. And and he's friend. I do believe in his own twisted way, Baelish does care for Sansa because he she is the daughter of the woman he loved in his right. own twisted way. Oh yeah, and, he's he's and, totally got a thing for Sansa. And so yeah, I I seriously expect him to at some point be regretting his decisions. Um, now, how much that hurts Sansa, I don't know. Sansa seems to be Martin's favorite. Uh, Whipping boy, you're right. So, <laughs> whipping, whipping girl. All right, all right. Well, well, that's the thing is that you know she doesn't even know that Ramsey's a psychopath either. So th- this is a curious thing. We're going to find out. She's going to slowly begin to figure out, um, if not immediately, uh, as well as Baelish, because again, Baelish appears that he doesn't know anything about it either. Um, but if we go, and of on, course, we also have Theon there. Let's not forget him. No, but well, even more important than that. Um, is I wanted to talk about how Ross Bolton, uh, basically Cersei sent a letter to Baelish through Carrier Pigeon. Bolton reads it and then gives it to him, and Baelish wants to return the letter, and Bolton says, I have to read it before it goes. So obviously Bolton's pretty smart. But my question is, is what did Cersei's ask it, obviously, we're going to find out in a future episode. Yeah, we, we don't know yet. Uh, and just one thing to throw in here, in that scene where she sent the message, um, tell your little dog to stop making so much noise. Sure. <laughs> uh, but when Cersei sent the message, uh, she told, I forget the character's name, the one who's, who's like Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, right after she told him to send the message, he's writing the message, and the mountain behind him in the room on a slab, all of a sudden his leg moves. He says, oh, quiet now. <laughs> it's okay. So, looks like the mountain might still be alive, at least in some way. It appears that way. Right. Mountain with the dwarf's head. Oh, jeez, that's right. So, um, Cersei sensed this. No, we're going to find out. Obviously, she's trying to change her power base. And again, this goes back to her trying to get to the number one alpha again in the whole world because she's trying to unite with this high sparrow guy. She's obviously trying to pull Baelish back in because she knows Baelish is a power structure. That's my guess is that this has something to do with her trying to 
get Baelish to get on board to basically somehow uh, help her get back to control the throne. Right. Uh, is my guess. And I, I don't think Baelish is going to give a rat's ass or something. He'll make uh, no. up. No, if he wanted her to have power, he wouldn't have had Joffrey killed. Right, exactly. And and she's dumb enough to think that, well, not dumb enough. She believes that Baelish is one of her tools. Yeah, a loyal. And, and she has no idea how badly he has manipulated everyone up. And nobody does, which is what's so brilliant about Baelish. Yes. Yes. So Bolton knows uh, now what's going on probably in uh, King's Landing, or at least a partial amount that Cersei is at least trying to gain a control or power structure. Um, I don't think this will really affect the Boltons at this point, but it's just curious to know that they are, I should say at least Ross, the father, is a, a little smarter than uh, the average lord, I guess. Yep. Um, so, yeah, this will be curious to see where the Sansa, Baelish, and the Bolton story goes. Uh, never mind the fact that Stannis wants to take Winterfell back. So you, you see another thing. We're going to see a bunch of characters head together, never mind Brienne. Well, and, okay, I think there are two things we can hit real quickly here uh, and then move on to uh, Stannis and Jon Snow. Uh, I think the two we can hit quickly are uh, Brienne and Podrick, because that's pretty quick. They just yeah. have, like, one scene. Uh, they're following Baelish to Winterfell, uh, and they basically have one scene where it's Brienne telling, well, first of all, kind of warming up to Podrick a little bit and uh, apologizing for always snapping at him. Uh, and then she tells him the story of how she ended up uh, being a guard for Renly. Uh, it was actually a really nice story that she told. I thought the actress did a great job. Um, and it was a great scene if, uh, you know, it was kind of uh, abbreviated. Uh, they didn't get a whole lot of screen time, but I thought what they got was good. Yeah, it was. It was it basically, um, it appears that she's going to train uh, Payne to be, or Padraig, I should say, Padraig Payne, to be a knight, uh, without actually knighting him, because she can't do that, right. because she's not even a knight herself. But mm -hmm. he makes a good point, which is it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you can fight. And that's absolutely true, because we've seen that with, with, uh, the Hound, who was never knighted and refused to be knighted. Mm -hmm. We've seen that with, uh, Braun, who's yep. one of the greatest swordsmen in the, in the entire world, and he's not knighted. Uh, until maybe recently, if, if he even is. So, and Brienne, who's not a knight. And then the other thing is, is that we get the backstories between the two, and it makes us like those characters more, but it also makes those characters like each other more, because now they know that they were both basically got short sticks in a sense, and, and, and so forth. So, um, and I like the fact that Pod was assigned to Tyrion as a punishment. Yes, because even with even with Tywin dead, he's still a dick. <laughs> right. But um, probably the most important thing that was stated during the pod and Brienne little tales was she said that she was going to get vengeance against Stannis because she saw a shadow that killed Renly that was of Stannis. Uh -huh. So in their heading to Winterfell. And Stannis is appears is heading to Winterfell, so there could be some interesting things coming up, maybe this season or even next season, 
that could occur between those characters. Um, so we'll have to see where that goes. Um, so that will be interesting. And, uh, and immediately, Phil put Brienne on his hit list. Oh, yeah. yeah well, 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 to be honest, and, and this is an honest fact, whether I like Stannis or not, Stannis taking out Remley, and again, you know, no one deserves to die, obviously, and so forth. But being war, Remley was usurping the rightful way blah, blah, the, blah. the throne happens, and therefore was himself illegally claiming the wah, throne, wah. and therefore was a target and, wah, and wah, was wah. killed. <laughs> Fair enough. But but either way, that's that's my point. So so in other words, Remley getting wiped out. I mean, he was just a jackass. I what what genetic test did, Stan, did uh, Stannis run to find out for sure oh, that? All right. No, but it did. It doesn't matter. Joffrey was illegitimate. It, Mike, it doesn't matter because Remley isn't next in line. It goes to, to the next oldest brother, which was Stannis. So Remley had no no argument for the throne at all until Stannis was not around anymore. But he still used a woman's vag to kill a man, and that's like a step beyond chemical weapons. <laughs> dude, dude, you, in, in war, you don't fight fear. You fight to win. And I'll keep on saying uh, Remember that when Stannis loses his head? Well, it, it could happen. But my point is, is is that her anger at Stannis may be somewhat unfounded, in my opinion, because of the fact that Remley was a target and a usurper. So, anyway... What was the other one? Was it the Tyrion piece you wanted to bring up before we hit the the, yes. the wall? Uh, Tyr- Tyrion and Varys, real quick, because there wasn't much to this plot. Uh, they've been traveling in this enclosure, and Tyrion's going steer crazy and says, I need to get out of here. And Varys is like, no, we can't. Everybody wants to kill you. Uh, and he's like, I don't care. We're leaving anyway. And gets captured. So that's pretty much all the plot there was to that. Uh, except, uh, there was a very funny scene where they walk up to somebody and this guard rubs Tyrion's head. He says, it's good luck to rub a dwarf's head. <laughs> he just looks at him and goes, it's better luck to suck a dwarf's cock. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta be one of my favorite lines of all time. It was but, somewhat disturbing. Yeah, I, but I also like little things like, you know, I'm tired of looking at your face. What's well, a perfectly good face. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need to. I need to see somebody who has hair. Right. And then the whole thing with with Danny. Well, first of all, there's there's the 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 the, the new red woman. Right. 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 Priestess Tyrion um, and Varys out in at the uh, local square sees a red witch talking about you know the the nonsense that they talk about you know the 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 night is full of terrors and all that and then. She gives the evil eye to Tyrion. Right. Right. And here's the thing. Who is she preaching for? Daenerys. So you got one red woman preaching for Stannis. Yep. And one for Daenerys. And to be fair... It happens, Mike. Uh, the, The Germans and the French are Catholics and they were killing each other. Well, yeah, no, but that's that's but the question. But while well, here, the, the the issue is the 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 red women, the worshippers of the uh, of the Lord of Light, do seem to be getting messages from the Lord of Light. Oh, I see. And and I was going to say the red woman, and because uh, I'm still doing this rewatch. So the, could they be lying? Then is what you're saying? False. Is who's lying? Because yeah. all that 
if I remember correctly, all that Melisandre tells Stannis is that he will sit on the Iron Throne. Right. Doesn't say he will rule the kingdoms. Right. Doesn't say he'll last very long. Right. <laughs> so I'm wondering if she's just manipulating him. But my question is, is why does the Red Woman in the Bravos or wherever the hell they're at care about what happens in Westeros? Because Daenerys, when she leaves that continent and heads back to Westeros, she's going to rule the kingdom over there, which is a completely different country than over there. In other words, Rob Baratheon never ruled those people where Tyrion is now. Yeah, I, I, I understand the point you're trying to make. I, I was unclear as to where exactly they were. But they were in one of the cities on the other. They weren't in Westeros, put it that way. Okay. Right? They were. Tyrion is not in Westeros, right? Varys is not in Westeros, right? I don't know. That's why I said I was... So you're saying they went back over to Westeros? I don't know where they are. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, well, they, they, they didn't get in a boat. They did it on, on cart. Right. So I, I don't think they're right. back over the sea. So but the I woman... think it's still clear. If, if the prophetic... And because Stannis has said he saw a battle in the snow in the fire. He looked in the fire. He saw it. So I'm assuming that there's some truth to these visions. And so she may not be sharing everything with Stannis and this other red woman may be moving other parts because maybe who knows what the Lord of Light supporting. And let's remember the Lord of Light. We don't know what side the Lord of Light is in because the Lord of Light is also the Lord of Shadow. Who says the gods even talk to these people? And maybe they're just saying they, they feel as if they're talking to them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like... I, okay. Is, uh, okay. Let's let's switch to Stannis now, since we're talking about Red Woman. Let's talk about his Red Woman. And whatever is going on there, whether it's divine or not, she's got some type of mojo going on. If, if, it, it's, if it's power granted by a god or magic that she summons somehow, she's got something going on. It's pretty clear. Yeah, well, she does. There was a priest for the Brotherhood without banners who keeps bringing back. Right. Sir, Sir One Eye, whatever his name was. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, Guy's so there like is definitely. Right. And we're not seeing yet any magic associated with the, the seven, the new gods, the old gods. Mm-hmm. This is the one quote unquote god that we're seeing actual power associated with. Right. And, you know, now you do have. Uh, the going back to the faceless men, them talking about there's only the one God, which we know they they believe is death, mm-hmm. right? And that that just has this one God, many faces, right? So it could be that this Lord of Light is the one quote unquote God, as they keep saying. It's only the only God that's 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 thrown down, right? So, uh, we get some Stannis, uh, in this episode. I was really, uh, I was actually really surprised that he could talk, uh, because the red woman there wasn't there with her hand up his ass, moving his mouth for him. So, that confused me a little bit. (laughs) Are you so hard not to yell at me right now? Are you trying to imply that he's not, uh, not entirely? He's just a puppet. uh, He's a puppet. For the witch! She's a witch! Oh, okay, sorry. All right, well, let's, let's, before we do that, let's just wrap up the Tyrion thing. Cause it, he gets it, caught. Yeah, he basically gets caught by Jorah and Mormon, and Mormon says he's going to bring you, I'm bringing you back to Daenerys. 
No, no, no. He says I'm taking you to the queen. Queen. We don't know who he means. Does he mean Daenerys or does he mean Cersei? Oh, that's interesting. Or does he mean some other queen? Any further things on that we want to discuss? Um, Uh, That's pretty much where that's at. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Eric. Having read the books without answering anything other than yes or no, do you know which queen he he's referring to? No. Okay. Because the, the, this whole thing is not what happens in the book. All right. Gotcha. All right. Very well. All right. So with that, let's continue with the Stannis story um, and the Jon Snow story, I guess. Um, so basically Stannis is told by Snow that he's decided to stay with the Night's Watch and, be, and become Lord Command of the Night's Watch and yes. not, not – Defend, fight for the, I guess for the Winterfell or whatever. To which Stannis um, supplies, what are you fucking crazy? <laughs> and he's, he's absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I personally think Jon Snow's a, a dink because he's basically leaving Winterfell in the hands of the, the scumbag Boltons who are evil people. Well, you I know mean, what? Was, and they, was, he, they even knew about them even before because they were always the flayed men and he knew even when they were "quote unquote" uh, friends with the Starks. Well, and there was a great, and there actually was a great line from Stannis in this uh, episode where he, he compares Jon Snow to uh, Ned Ned Stark. Oh, that's uh, great! And his nobility and everything. And Jon Snow says basically, "Thank you." And he was like, "I didn't mean it as a compliment." <laughs> right. Basically, he was saying that your father. Was an honorable man, but the, the the guy didn't know how to play the the throne and guess uh, you know play the game and guess what happened, right? And and he's saying the same thing to Stark, not a threat, but he's just basically well. And Stannis doesn't know how to play either. Uh, he he just has a cheap well, guide with him. I don't know. I think I think he was playing it well. It's just that he lost at, at the friggin' Blackwater thing okay, because okay, he, if he's playing it well, okay, if as you say. He is the rightful heir to the throne. How is he playing it well if he's still not in power? Well, he he lost lost the battle, right? Okay. And then, and then the and then the red woman made a good point, which is there's a bigger threat than than trying to regain the throne because if you don't if you gain the throne now without taking out this other threat, there ain't no Westeros. So if that's actually his motivation, then why is he criticizing Jon Snow for wanting to head up? Uh, the Night's Watch, who's going to be a major part of that effort? I think it's because he, because Ramsey Bolton, he knows is a scumbag, and Jon Snow is just going to let it say, okay, the scumbags can control the North. But again, if they don't do something about this threat from the White Walkers, none of it's going to matter anyway. That's fair. So I, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think Stannis is confused. Maybe, or, or, or well, a, a the, flaw in, the, in the, the, a plot hole. Well, here's the thing, is that the watch is seriously undermanned. Yes. And you have this massive wall, which there's really only one place that's really being manned. Right. So there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of unmanned places for the... Ice zombie army marching south to get around the watch. Right. So that doesn't really help. And Jon right. Snow tries to start to do something about it this episode. Yes, he does. Um, but I could also say that we have no idea when the ice the the, the ice zombie army is supposed to arrive. Right. Right. 
And it would be better if they had the North, if they knew they had the North secure, so they didn't have to worry about someone coming up behind their backs. Right. And, and, but okay. the catch is, the catch is, he does have too much of his father in him. He has taken an oath, and part of that oath is to leave behind, or as they interpret it, is to leave behind the politics of the Seven Kingdoms. And Maester Eamon has that conversation with them, I think, in the second or first, no, in the first season, sorry. Where he reveals that he's, uh, he was a Targaryen and he had left that all behind when he became a Maester and then took up the black. Yeah, but here's the problem with that, Mike. I'm not saying you're wrong about that and the intent of the oath, but, uh, his adherence to this oath seems to be at his own whim, uh, cause he'll run off and bang a wilding chick. Which exactly. is also something he's not supposed to do according uh, to the oath. But to but be fair, to be this. fair, a hot wildling chick. <laughs> That's true, but still, the oath is the oath. You're either going to adhere to the oath, if or you're not going to adhere to the oath. And he has already not adhered to the oath. I just want to read That's the subsections and make sure it didn't include hot redheaded wildling chicks. Right, but this is where, and I love the moment, and Davos is probably one of my favorite characters on the show, um, is he sits down and he asks, and I love the fact that he turns around and asks Ollie, the, the page or steward, yeah. whatever he is, to recite the oath. And it does it in a way, like you could see, okay, this guy is a father, he's had to deal with children, he likes dealing with kids. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it, that he's, he does have a good rapport with kids, but it brings a character into this who they had no reason to have to bring him into that scene. Mm-hmm. And he points out, you know, that's the shield, the realms of men. And he points out that it doesn't necessarily have to just be on the wall from the zombie hall. Yeah, that can be done in other ways. And so he, so Davos, who is, uh, you know, was a pirate or a smuggler, finds a loophole that the son of John Stark, or Ned Stark rather, might not necessarily look for in the first place. Right, mm-hmm. and this is why this is the thing you need. You need somebody with John, with uh, with Ned Stark, Stark's honor to play the Game of Thrones and have a uh, with the uh, the sort of gamesmanship and awareness that a Littlefinger would bring. Right, you, know, you need to, you need to bring those two traits together. And Stark only had has the the, the morals, and Littlefinger has the craft. Cersei has none of it. You no, know, but it's finding those two together, and that's what Varys is supposedly looking for. Right. So it'll be interesting if to see if he does pick up the Stark name. Uh, and it will be interesting to see if he can make an offer that the uh, the free people or whatever he was calling them will accept. Right. You know, because then that suddenly gives them a much larger army to retake the North. Right. But of course, we even even have to ask, what's the deal with the North? Because how big is Bolton's army? Right, and based off of what Bolton was saying, it's not too good. Especially well, it doesn't since, sound like since, it. Yeah, and never mind the fact that his son has to torture people to get to pay taxes. Right. Well, well we <laughs> knew at some point that the Starks had that that uh, Rob Stark had a force of about twenty thousand people. We don't know how many of those were killed off. But a lot of them, once the Red Wedding happened, all went home. But we know the, the, that home is still loyal to the Starks, 
there's just no Stark there. Well, there is now, but there was no Stark there to come out in support of. Right. And they're going to need something as a trigger to step up. Right. They need an army. They need a Stark and, and with a Stark at its head to kick the Boltons out. And the question is how massive or or thin is this Bolton army? Right. So what does Stannis have to put into it and what do the what wildlings have to put in? So the wildlings could join with Jon Snow or Stannis could they could join with Stannis and all go in the name of the Starks because Jon Snow may have pull with as a Stark even if he is a bastard. Well, here's the thing though, the wildlings don't want to join with anyone. Right. That's true. But I'm thinking they will if they're allowed to stay on this on the south side of the wall. Oh, and this is what we have to wait to see. What what deal can be offered? And I don't think they would take a deal from Stannis. Why not? W- would they take a deal from Jon Snow? Why would they take it from Jon Snow when he betrayed uh, and went back to the Black Watch so they could call him a traitor while Stannis is just, just uh, another nation? He was a traitor one way or another. He loved one of theirs and he treated Mance with respect and Mance respected him. Let's not forget he put Mance out of his misery before he was burned alive. So that, no, we'll, that was, we'll have to we'll have to see where it goes because I can't I, I don't I don't think they would have any more or less loyalty to Stannis or to Jon Snow. I think they'd be more likely to follow Jon myself. It's possible. It'll be curious to see see what happens. Um so that's where we're left off with Stannis and Snow, which is what's the next step for Stannis and what will Jon Snow take from what he was well, told by Dav- Davos and from Stannis. That's not quite the last thing we have with Stannis and Snow, uh, because what, what Jon Snow tries to do in order to address what Mike was talking about with a whole bunch of outposts on this wall unmanned uh, is he tries to send someone off to uh, repair one of them. And the the guy, I, do you know his name? I don't know the guy's name. Uh, uh, Janice Flint. Flint. Was that Janice Flint? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, well let's, um, let's let's talk about that whole scene first before we even lead up to that. Because first of all, um, this is Jon Snow. It appears his first Congress of of him uh-huh. being the head. He has to you know make some decisions, and the first is something to do with building latrines because they're running out of latrines. Right. And it looks like he's going to be picking Alistair Thorne. Because uh-huh. Alistair Thorne is his number one enemy. And he doesn't. He picks someone else that he knows will, will do it with dignity and whatnot. Then the next thing he does, which is he names the, the I guess the head of the, the army or, or what the, the, they call the, the head of the Rangers or whatever. And he gives yeah. it to Alistair Thorne, which is his dire enemy. Right. So that was an interesting move. Well, remember even then the conversation beforehand with Sanus. Yep. Which he's, he says, you know, he, he's got a lot of enemies. He said, well, I always uh, was always told, keep your enemies close. To which Stannis replies, whoever told you that didn't have many enemies. <laughs> that was actually a really good line. That and, awesome. that, and I think that plays into exactly what he does here. So he takes one enemy in Alistair, who he knows has had his ego bruised and has yep. been slighted. Yep. He, he tweaks him a little bit. By because it's and and I love the way they directed this scene because it's clearly he's he's gazing up. We need someone to dig a new shitter. <laughs> stares at Alistair. Yeah, 
And you see how they're going, you motherfucker. You can see that going in his head. <laughs> and who's going to build our new shitter for us? <laughs> Could it be? And then he switches over to Ginger, right? Yes. And and then he names Alistair head of the head ranger. Head ranger. And so he and he and he and he publicly extols his virtues. Yeah. Right. As a warrior. Yeah. So he grooms, he strokes him. Right. And you can see him puff up when when he's talking about him too. Right. And and he's given him a great honor. So that repairs some of the damage and he brings his enemy closer, but he still has too many enemies. Right. So he takes the other one and tries to send him away. Uh, and send him off to this other castle to get it uh, back up and running. Uh, Jenos Flint basically tells him to go fuck himself. Uh, and uh, Jon Snow's like, I-, I think you misunderstood me. That wasn't a request. That was a command. And he's like, no, I ain't doing it. And he's like, oh, are you sure? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he uh, he executes him. Uh, he has his steward go get his sword. And he pulls him outside. Uh, and John finally starts begging for his life at the last minute. Uh, but it's too late then. Uh, and even though he hesitates for a second, he chops his head off clean with one stroke. Uh, at which point he looks up across the courtyard and sees Stannis nod his approval and walk away. And what's significant is this is an episode in which he has denied his name even as he has basically become his father. Right. Right. That's an awesome point. Mike. And, 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 and that also you can go back to Arya, same thing. She's being asked to sever her connection, and yet she cannot get rid of that connection specifically to John. Right, right. Which is Needle. Right, which is interesting, too, because, it's, again, it's John. You're right. Yep. And, and of course, and that also ties back to Sansa being asked to take her mother's place. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, so you get all of this. of the now, So now you're starting to – the, the Starks were completely decimated with the Red Wedding. Right. And And which also I should point out that – that was also following on the heels of Sansa being uh, betrothed to uh, – and actually wed to Tyrion. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was arguably their low point. And now they're starting maybe – To rebuild. To rebuild. The seeds are being planted. Right. Maybe a while before they sprout, especially with George R. R. Martin at the helm. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, that could be where they're going. But we also have known that this fucking show likes to take a sharp right turn out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And for all I know, Jon Snow will be beheaded in the next episode. <laughs> uh, you never know. Now, you I want to ask never, Bill, never know. Do you, did Janice Slint earn his fate? Um, you know, um... It's a terrible thing because, uh, yeah, I mean, no one deserves to be executed. Um, they should I just be disagree put in with that blanket statement. They should just be put in prison. But he definitely, he definitely should have been thrown into the brig for disobeying orders like they would in, in the U.S. military. So, yeah, he's definitely deserved to be arrested. Now, did he deserve to be executed? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think so, but 
I see why it happened and the and the type of world, you know, fictional world that these things do happen. So it's legit in that sense. Uh, it was interesting that it was done by Jon Snow because at that point, Jon Snow hadn't killed anybody except in battle. When you're in, in an army and you're fighting, you have to you have to kill. But this was a decision he had to make, and I think it will change him permanently. Um, but it's so, also it's also a payoff of the very first episode in season one, uh, where although he wasn't speaking to John directly, uh, I think he was talking to Bran. I think John was wasn't John present. He was uh, yes with during the beheading in the first episode. Yes, uh, where he teaches Bran look. You gotta swing the sword yourself, uh, because if you make somebody else do it, then it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, well, let me ask you this. It means something to you. Did, so did, did Janice Slant deserve it? I mean, he's a, he was a scumbag character, as we know, right from the day one that we met him. And uh-huh. he's a bad, bad guy, and he actually was one of the reasons why Ned Stark is dead. So, his loss, big deal, right? I mean, he's a bad guy, good for, good riddance. Mm-hmm. But, in this case, did he deserve to, to be executed? I mean, in general, I don't think insubordination should be a capital offense. Uh, but given the framework of this society, yeah. And uh, I, I think John was absolutely right to do it because he had to set an example to put down all his other opposers. I think there's another thing that I would factor into this, which is that going back to that first episode, who was it that um, that Ned Stark executed uh, a guy that fled the the Night's Watch because he was running away from the zombies. Right, it was a deserter. Mm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that ties. Slint did desert. What was basically he fled and hid and cowered when there was the assault on the wall. True, right. but he wasn't being executed for that. He was well. He was, he was being sent away, probably, or was in the shit list because it, it. it wasn't his job to execute him for that. Right at the time, I, I could I would argue that 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 put him on that, the shit list. That certainly put him on the shit list, and this was his. We're sending you to shit island to to take care of shit at shit island and or whatever <laughs> it was that you're doing, and we and rebuild the shit island place wherever that little dump in the wall is, and let's see if you can prove that you have any worth to us because we know you're a liar, you're a deserter, you're a coward. And when he said no, and then what was his defense? I'm afraid. I've always right. been afraid. He, right. he admitted to being a coward. Right. right. And, well, that's the problem. You know, and he admitted to being afraid, but it, it's not like he admitted to being afraid when he should have. Right. right. You know, and the truth is, Sam is afraid. Right. Right. And Sam carried himself better. Yeah, Sam just pulls it off better. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, I mean, we go into further things, which is shell shock and all that. You know, where Patton slapped somebody and then he was stripped of command and all this other versus was he right to slap the kid that wouldn't go fight or was crying because he was, was had shell shock and shell shock. That's legit. However, you can also argue for everyone that has shell shock, there's 40 that don't and are as scared as as the guy that shell shocked, but they're still doing their duty. Right. But in this case, I think again, given the context of the society that we're dealing with, given that John was a new leader, that less than that. Remember more people voted against him than for him. Right. That's true. 
right? Because it was a three-way race, and he won by one vote. Right. So right. he won. He won a it was a non-majority uh, win. It, right. He won a plurality. Let's say he won with forty percent as opposed to fifty-one percent. Right. So there. So he has to do something to win the respect of the people that's not that are not there. And to have this guy who is not beloved by anybody there, and except and, for maybe Alistair Thorne. But and do, did you catch the moment when they when the when he John says get him, yeah. bring him outside, and the guards get up to take him, and Alistair stands between the guards and and Slint for for like a, for a moment, yeah. and then steps aside, and you see that look on Slint's face, like what the fuck, dude. Yeah, what, what the hell did hey. you just do? You, you, you stupid You're fool. supposed to got my back. Remember you, me, buddies. We're tight. No, what? When we cuddled in the wall, no? But, 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 the, <laughs> the, but the thing is, is that Alistair Thorne has two things. One, he the Night's Watch is his life, and he takes it seriously, even if he's an asshole. And two, he knows that uh, even though he likes Slint and Slint's his friend, there's nothing he can do because Slint basically he the line. Buried, yeah, he, he, Slint, Slint buried himself without Alistair Thorne having anything to do with it. Oh, and yeah. let's be honest, and Johnny just did him a solid. Yes. By making sure. him the head of... So, it's like, okay, I've got a choice here. I can either completely fuck myself yep. by standing <laughs> up for this lying little shit. Right. And probably not really do much because I might be the only friend this guy has. Uh huh. Or right. I can say thank you for the bone you tossed me, and I'm <laughs> going to go play with my bone. <laughs> you or, stay here and chop his head off. <laughs> yeah, you take him out to the woodshed. Right. Slint screwed up because he thought that all of his friends, meaning the Alice the Thorn group, were going to back him up, and it backfired because. They all decided that duty was more important than, you know, the, re- the rebellion, basically. And so it backfired on him, and he gets killed and executed. And it was a huge moment for Jon Snow because now you could argue he is a politician. He has blood on his hands now. Well, he- and I I was particularly surprised that they showed the beheading like they did. Because uh, generally, when I mean, this is not the first beheading we've seen in this show. Dude, but, dude, put it this way: but, we got to see more female nudity in this episode than anything we've ever seen before. So this show is willing to show everything. We've seen beheadings before the show, but I don't think we've ever seen one be portrayed as graphically as this one. Because normally, it's from a side angle or a right. back angle, or the blade hits. Uh, in this one. Whack! You see the you see the head fall off, and then you see the bloody stumps. Well, there. that that was my point was is that I was comparing it to the nudity we saw with the Septon, where we saw you know everything. And this director, I think, uh, this new guy decided to go all out in everything. Yeah, and, and I'm yeah. just comparing it as a mirror image to the other quote unquote thing on this show that is controversial, which is the nudity. And but it, it surprised you at all that it was that graphic, the beheading. To be honest, it was when I saw it, but then when I looked back and I thought of the episode, how the nudity was as graphic as it was compared to any of the other episodes in the show ever, it, uh-huh. I, it occurred to me that maybe this director is just, you know, 
he's pulling the, the chains the way he wants. It could be, it could be. But the, the nudity didn't surprise me because we've seen a lot of nudity in the show. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, okay, naked chicks, whatever, that's nothing new. Uh, and, and like I said, beheadings aren't either, but the way they showed it, I believe my exact response was, oh, shit, because uh, <laughs> that was nasty. Now, Eric, I heard in a book that it was – it was better based on, I was listening to another episode uh, of another podcast today. And, and they said that he was originally going to be hanged and the guy just kept on being a wise ass. And so John says, you're right. I'm not going to hang you. And Slint then becomes a real wise ass. Cause he goes, ha ha. He's, you know, the guy chicken out. He's not going to kill me. He goes, instead, I'm going to behead you. <laughs> and, and then he beheads him. And, you know, it was when Slint. So it was more dramatic. I heard, even though it was pretty dramatic, for the TV show. Uh, yeah. But I heard it was even more dramatic even in the book. Yeah. Uh, the books have it, have their moments. Uh, I, I, I like, I, I'll be honest, I like watching the TV show better than reading the books because the TV show just compresses it all. Uh, it gets rid of the much extraneous BS that George R. R. Martin likes to write in his books. But, you know, to be fair to him, uh, there are a lot of that extraneous BS, and I'm going to imagine there's a lot of it that doesn't end up on screen because that's what everyone says. Right. Does still inf- is still being used in mind to inform the world and inform characters and action behaviors that don't necessarily become apparent on the on, on a first watch it's just drops of names and lines of dialogue and mm-hmm. you know, like how you know how like you know just even things like going back to referring to dorn in the like right. very first season we're going to go as far south as south goes you know we're just get to i want to go to Dorne, and of course now and we've heard Dorne mentioned throughout the series but never really paid much attention to it because it never factored in and now we're there right right so all those little things. There are things like talking about the relationship with Littlefinger and Caitlin Stark, all seated in and in, in little dribs and drabs and various conversations throughout the first couple of seasons, and now really coming more and more. How you realize how significant that is. Mm-hmm. I don't think Game of Thrones could be as good as it was if this was envisioned. As a TV series and just carried straight to a TV series, I guess is my point. It would lack a lot of the richness that it has. Mm, oh, okay. I'm not going to fight you on that one. <laughs> it landed in the, the obviously the right people, the, the the two guys that run the show. Um, they were able to uh, pick and choose their, at least up to this point, uh, what was to condense, what to add, what to change. Um, and they've done it quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, and remove some of the quote-unquote flaws that some people have with the books is what I'm told. Right. There's always a danger if you get people who are too much of a fan of a, of material. One is that they may be devoted too slavishly to the material. And this is also sometimes a problem with directors who write their own stuff. They may become too enraptured by a certain scene or character to let it go when they need to. Um, like, like I heard that um, – also, the Harry Potter films, for example, um, they gave too much power to Rowling, and she wanted this in, and she would she had full say on all the scripts. So right. some of those movies, uh, at least for me and uh, some critics, drag at points because they probably should have been excised out. And so, if Martin had that control over this series, maybe there would be that problem too. Maybe. I don't know, man. He's intricate, and uh, he's he's executive producer of the series. 
But that could just mean a paycheck, as Mike always likes to say. Right. Uh, yeah, but I don't think but, you get that. But he's also written episodes. Yeah, he's also written episodes. Um, I, so I, I have a feeling that he's he's perfectly as long as he's left alone to tell his books. Right. Right. Because and this is what we have to remember is that this series is driving massive numbers of people to read his books. People who probably would never have bothered to pick up his books before. Right. This has actually probably been a, a godsend for him, not just for the fact that his he gets to see his work now on film, but just for the fact that he's it's made him a billionaire. Well, and I got to I think George R. R. Barton hates the Song of Ice and Fire at this point. I don't think he wants to be doing this anymore. Uh, I think he hates the pressure of people constantly bugging him to finish his book. Uh, I don't think he wants to finish this book. I think to be, he wants to be done with the whole thing, uh, but he can't because it's just too freaking lucrative. He's become a slave to his own material. Well, and that's the thing. He hasn't finished it yet, right? So so right. he's always going to have these people asking about it until he finishes it. Um, but that's his fault. Because okay, let's let's say you're right, Eric. That he does, he's grown to hate it or have a love hate relationship with it. Why would he then, if he hates doing it, why would he then turn one book into a you know a twenty thousand page mega volume that has to be split into into two books? Right. Wouldn't he just and then Arya stepped off a cliff and died? Next, because <laughs> because he has verbal diarrhea and all he can do is write words. <laughs> And well, I that gotta, is what most, gotta, that is what most people do. You, right. I got to tell you, the plot momentum pretty much petered out at the end of book three. <laughs> Wait, where does book three end? Um, right after Red Wedding. I, th- I think we get Red Wedding, and then I think the Purple Wedding might be in that book as well. Hmm. I think you get both weddings in that book. Interesting. Which, by the way, is not a good sign of plotting. Yeah, when you have book, and two weddings four, in one book, and then and then book four is just like hell on wheels. It's like trudging through wet sand because nothing happens in that nine hundred pages. Now, um, uh, what else? Uh, any further things we want to discuss about this episode that we missed? Um, obviously, one of the minor villains gets wiped out. Janice Slint. Uh, that we haven't liked for since his days in Castle Rock, where he and Tyrion had their fights, and he was a lapdog to Cersei. So that was a big moment, even if it is a minor villain, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does bring uh, Jon Snow into a new, um, I guess, storyline uh, now as a politician, a, a person that actually controls people's lives now rather than just a soldier. And then, yeah, we, we get some, you know, the various other things as we discussed, uh, Sparrow and, and what's going to happen there with Cersei's and, and Arya's story and then now Sansa and, and the Boltons and Baelish and yikes. And then, of course, Tyrion just getting kidnapped. Um, so there's a lot of things that happened in this episode. Any further things you want to discuss or any things you wanted to bring up that may happen in the next episode? I do know next episode it appears it's going to be focusing on Daenerys and the Harpy Rebellion, mm-hmm. uh, at least a portion of it, because, you know, even though this was called the High Sparrow, it really wasn't that much of the High Sparrow. It was more of all these other things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be similar to that. But either way, they're going to focus on Daenerys uh, next week, at least uh, partially. 
Well, all I was going to say is that I really like uh, in the show the character of Brienne. I think the actress does a wonderful job with it. Um, I love watching her fight. I like listening to her tell stories. Uh, but the character herself is so steadfast in her um, belief system. She's like a female version of Ned Stark. Uh, and I don't think it's going to end well for her. There's um, there's a I have to laugh. There's a they have plot synopses of the episodes online, like your your TV guide for those who remember TV guide plot synopses. Yeah, and uh, I think it's the eighth episode, uh, and it's fairly spoiler like Jon Snow faces a battle. You know, it's all fairly generic, and it's Stannis remains stubborn. <laughs> and that kind of can apply just as well to Brienne. Uh-huh. You know, Brienne remains surly. Um, <laughs> that that that's not helping us out at all. We all know that. I understand they have trouble because they 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 got to tell people what's coming up, but they can't spoil anything, and so you get this very generic stuff. Uh-huh. But that just made me laugh. Um, and I was thinking of that because yeah, Brienne is Brienne has that same issue because you have a lot of these people with you know rods of honor running up their butt. Yes, but again, Eric, you know a lot of characters that we've come to endear in the show have been killed off, as well as some characters that we don't like as people, but we love them as characters were killed off. So it, yeah, it could happen where Brienne or any character could just disappear, especially ones. Um, that are more peripheral, even uh, or don't have a storyline that seems anything to do with directly to the, th- the throne itself. But oh, uh, and the uh, thing is, it's going to make me sad when she dies because uh, <laughs> for some reason I like her, even though I think she's an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I like her too. I mean, I like the Hound better though, so that's that. Mm-hmm. But you didn't, but you didn't like the Hound for his nobility. I'm sure. No, no. I, well, I don't really like. Brand necessary for her nobility either. I just like her because she's just fun to, <laughs> to 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 watch. All right, I guess that's pretty much it. We can wrap it up, I guess, right? And we'll come back next week with uh, an episode about the Hoppy Rebellion at Paris. So based off of the title of the, that next week's episode. So with that stated, uh, Eric, when are you lose that? All right, thanks for tuning in to listen to You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, Game of Thrones podcast. Come back next week. We'll be talking about season five, episode four. 